The Creative Trust podcast acknowledges the traditional owners of the land on which we create and record this podcast as the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. So I grew up with a fascination of creating little stories inside shoeboxes. So Christmas, the yeah, the Christmas nativity scene in a shoebox with a torch with a red cellophane stuck over the top, and um, you actually did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. The Creative Trust podcast is an exploration into the minds of some of the world's best creatives. We are endlessly fascinated with the ephemeral and the intangible. We make sense of it through our creative process. Over the last two decades, we have created countless installations, each one put up, pulled down, each one leaving an enduring mark on its audience. Gloss Creative and our stellar alumni share everything with you, how people become creative and what we know to be true about the creative process. Amanda Henderson founded Gloss Creative as her way of navigating creatively through life, learning early on that she could make audiences fall in love with environments simply by making them feel and experience something. Memories that last long after the physical immersion have gone. It crystallized her long-held belief that your business plan is to harness your unbridled creative force. And creative renewal is your most important weapon over time. Welcome to the Creative Trust. It's taken me a long while to get our next guest to the table here and I'm so thrilled that John Kerr from Stage One is here today. We've had a few attempts but he's been busy making magic around Melbourne and Australia so as their creative and technical director I'm thrilled to have John Kerr with us today. Thanks for coming and thanks for making the time. Finally got here. Thanks, Amanda. I know, finally. And I know you're on limited time. You've got a Zoom call. So we're going to sort of power through as much as we can. But I do feel there's a lot to get through with you. (laughs) My bio for you, and obviously we will cover your bio through our chat today, but my bio for you is really, I guess I would describe you, you describe yourself as a creative and technical director, but I think you're a fantasy and magic maker and above all, you're a storyteller. I think anyone who knows you and has been put on hold waiting on the telephone for stage one will get an instant idea of who you are. And obviously, who's that who is that song by? So it's from Kiss of the Spider Woman. I'm a, I'm a window dresser uh, is the yeah. title of the song. Yeah. I often enjoy that when I'm waiting on the phone. And I feel like it's the best song on the phone of anything I've ever heard of. And I think all of the people who ring in to your company either get it or will be like, who have I wrong? Yeah. But, yeah. I think John is someone who has worked with, I would say, almost all of Australia's creative teams. I think you would have the widest network of people that you've worked with over decades. So I think when I think about you, apart from the fun that we have and your perspective, you always keep things in perspective. You're always ready to try new things but the thing that I often think about when we're coming up with new ideas it's one thing to have great ideas but it's another thing to have collaborators and people to work with who can actually do them and I think one of the things that we you know as we've worked it's incredible to have someone like you in your back pocket who can make magic happen I mean Nothing's impossible for you and I've found that to be such a great sense of joy and Australia's creatives and therefore brands have benefited from your abilities to really put something into action and and hold it to the end. I've never met anyone who can hold a job so tightly right to the end and that's I guess part of the magic as well you know uh, it's it's a really good thing so I also know you're 
always up for an experiment. I love the way you dive headlong into something with no idea how it's going to turn out, but just go for the ride. It's like, okay, let's just do Come that. Along with me. Yeah. And you're always coming up with alternative techniques, mm. alternative materials, and you know that we'll talk about later. Obviously, you're amazing with budgets, and when I talk about your processes as well, you know, I think that there there is a massive underpinning. You know, in this podcast, we often talk about people who are creative but organised as well. And that's um, something I see in you when we meet. You're actually very organised as well. And, I mean, that's the business side of things yeah. as well. Yeah. You must have listened in that maths class. But we'll find that out. So I will get you later on to describe what you do because it's very varied and it's quite blended. But in the first instance, I'd love to hear how you how, came to be. How. how did you get creative? Yeah. Um, so I grew up in a family of 10 children. So, oh, wow. Um, I didn't the, know I, that. Yeah, I'm the second youngest. So we, I grew up in a, quite a competitive family household and I come from a family of medical brothers and sisters that are all, yeah, in the medical industry. So uh, myself and my younger brother seem to have got the creative genes and my younger brother actually works for me as the lead cabinet maker in the factory. So I grew up with a fascination of creating little stories inside shoeboxes. So Christmas. The yeah, the Christmas nativity scene in a shoebox with a torch with a red cellophane stuck over the top and um, You actually did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and, love and, that. And, and, and How old were you? Oh, from six, seven years old. I right. yeah. So that grew to we used to go away on school, um holidays to sale and there was a department store in the main street of sale. I I sure it's long gone they used to have animated christmas windows and that used to be the first thing when we landed in would i'd run to the main street to see these windows and that started my fascination with just creating little worlds behind glass i just loved there's something about glass that i just loved and right through secondary school i was dressing the library showcases um wow. it, was, it was just my fascination was I, we can go into why i do that but yes please um, do why well, do I think you it's do a, that i think it's a um it's an environment that you have total control of um so you can create perfection inside this little world and that's your little world that you can control so you know as much as we you know i, I love doing stage work where you're in a black theater and you can create absolute magic it's even harder to create that in in, in a window environment with daylight but it's 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 nice to achieve so um, but yeah, the, uh, I, I love a window environment because it's small enough that you can take control of that environment and create absolute magic behind that glass. So my fascination with dressing showcases and uh, in the school library, I was lucky enough for a librarian to actually say, you should become a window dresser. Uh, remember the careers books that we yeah, used to have? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I looked up the window dresser. Yeah. What does that in mean? A career book. Um, discovered Melbourne College Decoration and went there for an open day. And that's where my life changed because I walked into that college and I just knew I was home. Um, wow. the, the smell of wet paint and screen printing inks and the smell of cardboard and, and just the magic that the students had created. I just went, oh, this is it. This is me. This is everything getting your hands dirty uh, that I want to be. So signed, my, signed myself up straight away. I left um, secondary school at the end of year 11 um, because it wasn't an art-driven college and did my two-year certificate of promotional display. It was back then, Melbourne College of Decoration in King Street, which was the best two years of my life for I just absorbed everything. I just absolutely loved every minute of it and, you know, it was ducks of the, the year. Of course you were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course. Um, we were only together in under the Great Hall the other day at um, yeah. Art Centre and, and that's where I received all the awards for that for the, being ducks. Um, but from there I still was starving for knowledge and so I was very – I got into amateur theatre and set building and set design in amateur theatre. And that was just a fantastic 
extra layer of knowledge, um, understanding stage lighting and, and the technical side of creating magic and um, set building techniques. And um, mm. so I was doing that sort of you know, after hours while working in the PM industry. Where and were you working at that so time? So I started at Suzanne's, you know, got, got to dressing a many down to about three minutes. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with the mullet hairdo and those things. Right, of course. We've all done yeah. the mullet yeah. mountain of hairspray. Yeah, I think I, I wrote, wrote off three cars while I was at Suzanne's in the eight months I was there. Like, oh, from oh, the smell of Straight that. pea plater. Um, from there I went to API, which was a little department store in Collins Street, bottom of Collins Street, down near Spencer Street, and worked there for a year. And that, that was just being uh, dressing on the floor, met my partner. Uh, back then, okay. age 20. And from there, we I went to DJs. And right through that time, I was moonlighting, dressing some stores in Whitehorse Road, Baldwin. And a retiring window dresser who had a sort of window run down Bell Street all the way from Rosanna all the way down to the other end of Bell Street, basically, noticed my work and rang me and offered me his window run. Um, and so at age 20, I went, yep, yeah, I'll do it. Let's do it. And so I, um, left DJs and started stage one and yeah, started dressing windows, which I absolutely hated. I just, it was, what? um, well, it was, it was old, um, it was bras and knicker shops and oh, fair <laughs> and enough. everything was on it nylon. Wasn't, it wasn't the luxury no, you no, do no. these it was all days. N- nylon suspension, but <laughs> my God, I can, you know, I could hang a pair of knickers up yes, pretty quickly. <laughs> Thank um, God they don't do that anymore. Yeah. So that morphed because I was at David Jones. I also, we used to have morning tea with Myers as well. So all the VM, there was about 60 of us back then. It would all knew each other. And in those, uh, back then, Greg Schellenberger was the VM manager. And he, once I was out on my own, DJs and Maya both looked after me and, and started feeding me some small prop making jobs. And that's where it all sort of started and changed. So stage one became what I wanted it to be, which was a, a prop making um, set building. How long ago was that? That was back in 1988. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. So that's been a long time. That's nearly 30, what is it, 34 years or something? Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. That's so, incredible. Yeah. And so that's now turned into. You know, uh, it's a huge business that's recognised Australia-wide. My love is always in visual merchandising um, and always will be um, and being hands-on in store and in windows. I absolutely adore the fast turnaround, I guess, of creating something. You know, you get a result very quickly. (laughs) Yeah, the the result is there by the end of the night. Um, Yes. I get bored very easily. I don't like doing things twice. So every job has to be unique and have its new challenges for me to be interested in in, in taking it on um, because it's it's just one big learning curve, this this, this it position. It totally is. Yeah. yeah. And can you describe to people, you know, when you talk about stage one, mm. obviously for me it's this incredible old building in Kensington, four floors of the Elves workshop. yeah. yeah. The best way, to, you know, for someone who comes into your, obviously the office is a beautiful, beautiful big library, drawing boards, and then you, if you're lucky enough, you're taken up the stairs, you know, to the first apartment where there's, you know, beautiful bunnies being flocked. And the glitter wall. And the, and the, <laughs> the glitter, glitter wall. wall. We've spent a bit of time on that glitter <laughs> wall. And what's that room? That's our finishing studio. So... Yeah, stage one, that building found me. I didn't find it. We, I was in Port Melbourne uh, prior to that and I was struggling to find a new building. I had a deadline of a month to get out of the building we were in that was getting demolished. So I was at desperation stage and I got lost in North Melbourne and uh, didn't turn left at Lloyd Street and went to the dead end of Arden Street and looked to my left and just went, hello, who are you? Yeah. And he, this derelict building that it just had its uh, roof ripped off um, to be replaced uh, contacted the owner and he wanted someone artistic in the building which was fantastic so he did a lot of work to this derelict building and brought it up so it was the old Barrowstock building in North Melbourne so it's there was a conveyor belt that came across from the flour mills across the road and fed and created the Barrowstock um, chook pellets. Um, so Incredible. our office is in the chook pellet <laughs> room, uh, and the warehouse in was um, 
all built during World War Two, and yeah, so it's um. I say it's very Soho, but for us, it's very just ho ho building. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I think it's Soho. It's Soho. It has ho-ho. that, yeah. and I, I just love the way. Okay, we need to go see the metal people. So down yeah. the stairs yeah. we go, and to the back. Yeah. Okay, it's, we it's, need to go to the mill, yeah. the Starry Mill. Okay, area. yeah, it's, it's just um, incredible. It's a great building because I mean we're only minutes from the city, which we need to be for all our city work, but also just the views of around Melbourne. We're, we're very lucky to have that building. Um, and even though it's two stories for production, it seems to work because we're, our dusty work is upstairs and our sort of clean areas are downstairs. But the finishing studio, that eight steps up to the finishing studio, I just love taking people up there because it doesn't matter who they are. The minute I bring take them through that door, I hear the their jaws just hit the ground because they, <laughs> they, the world just opens up through those doors and it's and, and you're in my land now. Yes. Um, so, yeah, you walk through into the finishing studio, which is traditionally sort of dust-free or costumes. On, um, at, at the moment, the Masked Singer costumes are being built in there and then out to general production and then into woodwork and your spray painting area. Downstairs is your technical computer areas and printing and uh, steel fabrication, laser cutting. Yeah, so um, my there mod- aren't many people who have, or yeah. I mean, there's no one who has that breadth of and that um, service within what you're doing. Yeah, um, and that's the visual merchandising industry has driven me to that. You know, the VM industry, when the job comes through and they say jump, you got to jump really high and really fast, um, and the complexity of the work coming through the VM industry now requires so many disciplines and so many production techniques i mean you know a traditional set of windows will only have a lead time of two weeks you know or three weeks at best you know and so to create That's windows fast. for christian dior or whoever we've got to be able to manufacture so quickly and to keep it in-house and to keep as much in-house so that we have total control of the workflow yeah that's it's been a huge investment and just a continuing ongoing investment but it it's necessary to just be able to, uh, you know, turn things around in 24 mm. hours. Mm. And I've noticed that, you know, sometimes if we worked on something that's a short thing, you might say to me, oh, we might have to send out that section of the job and then two days later all of a sudden it's like, nah, I've no, worked out house. a way we can yeah. do it yeah. in-house. <laughs> it's so great. Yeah. Well, it's also very cost-effective you know, for the yeah. client because, um, you know, everyone puts their margin on things and by the time it, it's collated back together as one big job, it can, it can blow the budget. Definitely. Mm. So what I'd love to know, and I'm going to use the Maya Christmas windows as an example because you've done like 28. Yeah, 20, I was going to say 27. Yeah, it was really 27 now. before Christmas, but yeah, now it's Mark. Now. So since 1994. Mm. So that is obviously you've been, a lot of people know you for yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, obviously we know it's so more it's than it's that. Yeah, it's yeah. your couture. And that's the, you know, um, your approach to storytelling and your love of, you know, that magic and that movement that's created in, in, in those windows. Talk to me about your creative process. How does that, how do those windows happen? Yeah. What's the process? So I guess I approach it as if I was designing a stage set. It's multiple reads of the script or, or in our case, the book. Um, so Christmas windows for my always based on an existing book, uh, and that's to promote childhood uh, reading. Um, it also gives me a great starting point. So look, everyone can design because anyone who reads a book has a visual in their mind as they're reading the book. And really design is just then just translating that image back to paper and then fine-tuning it with your, with all the knowledge and tricks that you know. So it you is make as, it sound so easy. <laughs> it is as simple as reading the book and visualizing your... what you're reading, um, and, and and then getting that down onto paper. The museum, Melbourne Museum, showed all my thought process in thumbnail sketches of like one set of windows during the expo, and it was just interesting to see the starting point of a design with all those little sketches and just pages and pages of sketches as as as, the, as it develops into a set of windows. I guess when I'm – so once once I've got the overall visual, I then have to break the design in, down into six windows and, and make the decision whether or not I'm going to tell a story or I'm going to depict six favourite scenes from the book. Sometimes we can actually tell the entire story 
Um, and other times we just don't have enough windows unless I invite David Jones to join in uh, and give me <laughs> up to 12 windows. Be too happy with <laughs> yeah. that. It'd be fun though. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, though. 12 windows. Yeah. yeah, if they joined forces. Yeah. That would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's 13 put windows. Cha- put that challenge windows. out there. Yeah. What do they call that in polit- politics? Bipartisan. Bipartisan. Yeah. Go for yeah. bipartisan Christmas windows. It's a wow. thing. Yeah. Let's start that. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. That would 13 be- scenes. Yeah. yeah. So if we are storytelling, then we use every trick known in theatre to create a story. So the biggest element I love is reveal. So the element of, of surprise or reveal and, and being able to transform a window into multiple scenes by the use of revolves, by the flying scenery in or out of uh, the window. I've got, to, I've got to say at this point, my Melbourne window space would have to be the best window environment that I have ever seen or worked in. The windows, I mean, some of the windows are six and a half metres wide, which is bigger than the stage at the Athenine Theatre. Plus, you've got the head height. You've got uh, six metres above you, which is fantastic for hiding things. And you've got a little bit of space on the sides for wings and a proscenium arch. Um, so we've, I very much treat Christmas windows as, as just miniature theatre stages on the street. Um, and they are. Yeah. They really and, are. Uh, so, yeah, um, I, I, I use the concept of masking with, with wing space, with a proscenium arch um, to bring down the viewing portal. And that just, and, and I'm stickler on sight lines. So all our floor plans and our side elevations, we're always looking at child's and adult sight lines and making sure that they can't see back, backstage or can't see the, the, um, how I make magic. The Disneyland effect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everything's perfect. Yeah. Can't see any of the real world. And, and yeah, it's it's amazing. A black the black boxes. Um, yeah, Maya, we refer to those windows as black boxes. Yeah, it, just having a black environment and it's black magic. You can you can mm. create magic in a black space. Definitely. Mm. And you've worked with a lot of creatives, um, and obviously M Hofstadter comes yeah. to mind. She's too back of house to come and be here today. <laughs> She's like, oh, no, no, no. Um, but you've worked with some, you know, with collaborators. Mm-hmm. Say like when you work with M, yep. how did that process go when you're working with a client who's also a collaborator? I very rarely come up with the concept because I'm, I'm, I'm responsible for making it happen rather than coming up with the initial concept. But it's also amazing to work with the designers at a very early stage and that's to help direct them with budget and if things aren't feasible or, or you know, if I can see it blowing out, that's the time. So I always encourage any designer to, to work with me from day one just so the design isn't getting out of control with, with manufacturing because, you know, there's an end point but there's so many ways of getting to that end point and bringing me in early we can redirect and just fine-tune the design to make it economical yeah and I feel like there is um that thing of setting yourself up for success or failure in a way setting people up for failure is a problem yes yeah it's a term that I use a lot now yeah um especially with contractors in a state and just making sure that I'm not setting people up to fail and understand, understanding their their limitations in their production abilities or their staffing um, and working with them. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. So I'm going to drop my my first um, phrase now. Give it to me. Yeah. So Bring on the quote. I consider myself, well, I was going to say taxi driver, but I'm going to say a v- visual merchandising chauffeur. Always high end, John, always. (laughs) So my clients know where they need to go and where they need to be. They need, they need, they know the end position. They need, they know their concept. And my job is to actually take them there and, and using all my knowledge of the shortcuts um, to get them there as quickly and as cheaply as possible with the best effect and best finish. And that's, that's, I feel as if my role in the VM industry in the last 10 years, that's that's where I've arrived at is um, having a huge pool of knowledge in both production materials that I can help everyone get to that, that goal. Do you think the rise of the luxury fashion market window 
has fueled your yeah. expertise in that? Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, we dress all the internationals and. So we, for people, it's Prada. Pra, Prada, Moomoo, um, Chanel, Christian Dior, Dolce Cabana, um, just a Tiffany's. Few, just a few uh, lazy yeah, you, luxury you companies. And, and we're involved with them. Yes. A lot of those windows are cookie cutter windows, so they are they're arriving from from uh, China as as prepped uh, window props, and sometimes it's hard to do because at four o'clock in the morning you're still dressing a cookie cutter window that's not working. You're missing bits, but it also gives us an amazing discipline and knowledge of dressing windows. So we're we're dressing windows at least three times, three nights a week, whether it be at Fendi or wherever. Um, so it's an amazing discipline and what else it gives me is an amazing insight to other designers and other manufacturers techniques of producing props because the production of a prop is so specialized a shop fitter can't make a prop uh it's too heavy uh, it would probably cost two, you know four times as much and so making a prop that is held together with smoke and mirrors and gaffer is part of the expertise of of, of window dressing and I'm going to call it window dressing because I'm very specialised to just windows. windows. Well, 80% is windows, yeah. I know that you love technology and different technologies. I know that you've got a few new machines and yep. that sort of thing. Talk to me about your love for technology because you do you love things that are made by hand. Like I've seen you flock planets for me once and Zach Day. I spent two hours in there with yep. you. But your love of technology, you know, you were one of the first people I know to have a 3D printer. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to me about what technology does for your world. It's just another paintbrush in my toolbox, really. But, yeah, I look, I, I'm always nervous of being left behind with technology because if you don't keep abreast of it, you're going to be lost. And left behind. It's a galloping course. Um, and in saying that, I'm also, you know, quite terrible with some technologies, especially, you know, personal computers and things. But I, I absolutely love manufacturing technology and um, how it helps production and how it brings production costs down, um, how it speeds the process up. I think what what happened was 15 years ago when digital printing came into um, the mainstream into VM, digital printing reduced our timelines considerably because what used to take 14 days to screen print was capable of printing overnight. And what that did to the industry is it reduced lead times for any job down because all of a sudden everyone knew, oh, we can print in a day. That's And they forgot about the actual manufacturing side of it. We, yeah, some things are still manual. The ability to create something through new machinery and yes we we can 3d print and we do 3d print and especially coming back to christmas windows you know where we used to do clay sculptures and plaster molds and latex castings um, which was a three or four month process we're now 3d printing our characters which is taking you know 48 hours instead of um, three months to produce in saying that i never want well with christmas windows i would never want our audience to see a 3D printed character, it still has to be hand finished. The original sculpture still has to be produced by a sculptor rather than digitally in a digital land. And they're my boundaries. The the prints, 3D print still has to be hand finished um, with makeup. Um, so they're still, and there still so has to be really the layers. you're really using it to enhance. It's a little shortcut. Yeah. 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 So you're making it yeah. what you want really. Yeah. But I mean, you know, with our robotic milling, you know, to be able to mill, you know, a lump of styrene, you know, the size of this room into something amazing within 12 hours, which used to take four to six weeks with chainsaws and handsaws and a lot of sweat and tears. Sounds um, a lot safer now yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, going at a like a styrene with a chainsaw. But that that's what that's what the reality was 10 years ago. Now now it's um, a digital model and, and, you know, push a green button and, and the robot takes over. Yeah, so and then technology with the Christmas windows. I mean, we're always looking for a new, new and wonderful little tricks and toys to employ behind the scenes in the windows. Once again, with windows, the opportunity 
has always been there to use like video imagery in, in, in the windows, but I have always been reluctant to add video to what should be a handcrafted set of windows because it's it's like putting oil over a watercolour mm. painting or mm. vice versa. They just it's, repel. They do and it's a visual thing. Anything that is LED or digital is so powerful to the eye, mm -hmm. you almost can't look at anything else. Yeah, well, it yeah. silhouettes everything that's in front of it. Yes, um, exactly. They, they, those classic windows for Target that were on Chapel Street, which had yeah. video walls with a mannequin in front, and the mannequin was just a black silhouette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because so, it backlights everything. Yeah. But, uh, and, and our audience for the Christmas windows, they, they expect, in fact, they demand to see craft and, and hand finished pieces. Um, because that's half the part of the attraction for the adults. And I, I feel like those windows kind of aren't are owned by the people. Mm. You know. I know <laughs> I know Em's told me, you know, yeah. people people of Melbourne feel like they own those windows. And, you know, when you think of the joy that you've brought to so many families over decades. That's a pretty amazing contribution. Do you ever get blown away when you think about that? Oh, five minutes before opening, I do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The rest yeah. of the time, it's all go. Oh, look, I, I never underestimate the privilege of, of creating those windows. I mean, let's let's think about those Christmas windows. They're the biggest set of, well, the biggest frontage in the Southern Hemisphere. They have an audience of over 1.2 million people that visit the windows each year. So, yeah, I, I don't take it lightly and I do have, like every designer, have sleepless nights going, oh, did I get that right? Are they going to understand that storytelling um, mm. uh, or, or my interpretation of the story? Exactly. Yeah. So, look, I mean, we've had good and bad. What's know, like, your favourite one been out of all of the Christmas windows? What are your favourites? When it comes to storytelling, Olivia the Pig, which was a total where the, that was a, a set of windows where the set was very minimalistic, but the animatronics and the storytelling was, was, was amazing. Um, Dane Edna Everidge did the narration for us. That was pure storytelling. And, and you can, I, I go back and watch the, the videos on YouTube and, and, and it is just like watching a, a, a theater show doing scene changes. So that, that's a, that's a very minimalistic one. And then, I also love, and I still really haven't had the opportunity to create a classic fairy tale as yet, you know, like a Cinderella, mm. you know, 17th century Louis, you know, style. So the Nutcracker, which we presented, which was very ornate. And the, I mean, the ornate windows are, are so much easier to design and create because it's just layers of detail. Um, there's no finishing line. You can just keep adding. And the more you add, the more OTT they become, and the more the, the audience love. Yes. Um, and and you go you go onto social media sites and just see how people who are photographing the windows can zoom in on just these microscopic levels of detail. They find that detail mm. and 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 capture it, so it doesn't go unnoticed. That's for it's sure. It. And I remember the discussion that we had when we were flocking the planets mm. when you were saying, "Oh, this is." This millimetre long flock is what I use for the bunny fur on their cheeks and then but around the chin I use a different measurement of flock and I'm oh, like, yeah. I can't even believe I'm having this conversation. <laughs> yeah. It's so it's so detailed and yeah. so so fabulous. And trying to get that out of my head is is one of the biggest uh, issues, I guess, with 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 running a production company where you're the designer um, and you're having to try to get that information out of your own head and to a team to a team of twenty thirty staff, and, and I guess that's that's why we produce pretty much everything in house because I need to control it and and the designs develop as you're progressing um, and change. Yeah, and and so they should because mm. ideas come to light and. Giving giving your artisans enough room to to add their own expressions as well. Um, so so it's 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 an it's a balancing act, uh, being the conductor and, and giving your artisans enough room to to enjoy the experience because it's it's pretty laborious and um, yeah and then and but I mean that the staff are just so proud of what they produce as well. Brilliant. Yeah. I love that. So good. So you are very prolific. I mean, the, I, 
can't imagine how many windows you do a year. How do you maintain your energy? What invigorates you? Um, I'm not sure. Like I guess it's another question is what motivates you to be so prolific? Perfection, which I haven't achieved yet. And I guess the day I do achieve perfection will be the day I need to retire. Um, perfection is, I, I mean, they're, 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 I really struggle to return to back to my work and look at it uh, because I see flaws. So I guess there's a, there, there's, a, there's a will there of wanting to achieve perfection. Whether or not I'll ever get there, I'm not sure, where I'm 100% happy with the result. That's one thing. Are you a kind of a shoot for the moon, but okay if you land up in the stars Absolutely. or are you still the moon? No, well, I, I mean, yeah. I do I do pull back because I, I always remind myself, think macro, not micro, um, and that the average punter won't see the micro floor. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and uh, yeah, I've opened a set of windows for in, with in Christmas windows with a stepladder in it and no one noticed that the stepladder was in the window. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's I've amazing. I've left a bottle of spray and wine yeah, yeah. for a month. <laughs> um, so it, it is amazing what you can get away with. I want to be the best. Absolutely. I, uh, no, I don't think I have. I, 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 I want to be known for having painted Melbourne pink, I guess, for Great. In my life. Um, I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think keep, keeping the streets of Melbourne, you know, entertaining with windows is very much. I, I just love updating Melbourne streets and Collins Street. Right. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I I, hmm. So, is it the work itself that invigorates you? I actually love the physical side of it. Um, I love running and up ladders. And you know what? It's so great to see a head of a company doing the work as well. Yeah. Um, and that's actually a similarity, I feel, with the way I work as well. Like I love the design, but I love then I'm always there when we're putting it in. Yeah, in, in, yeah. yeah. Or yeah. usually. I'm yeah. usually there because there's still so much that can be delivered in the last stages oh. of a project as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, or go off the rails, actually. Too. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. you know, to bring that back in as well, um, yeah. you know, I, I think, think I it's think, really um, interesting. Just, I mean, just, just having the ability to create and to leave a mark, you know, I mean. So what do you think your legacy is? Well, I'm, I'm going to go back to my college days because in year 11 when I, when I discovered Melbourne College Decoration, I remember talking to our the dean of the college, the priest, and believe it or not, I was actually considering the priesthood. Okay. And I actually had a, a conversation with, with uh, Father Maroney and he, he said, well, um, uh, you'd be the lead of the college next year if you were to stay. And, and, and he said, but you have a responsibility to follow your talent. And so priesthood isn't for you. You need to go explore and, and, and use the talent you've been given. I'll never forget that because that was a, a definite turning point uh, Pretty for Pretty good me. advice, hey? Yeah, yeah. And so I guess, I mean, I'm not a religious person, but you've been given this amazing talent and you have to explore it and you have to work with it and, and give it your best and share it with everyone. So... Yeah. And look, there hasn't been a phone call that I've had with you where I've been scratching my head and I've rung you and I've said, John, I do not know where to get this. I don't know how to do this. Have you got any ideas? And you freely and so generously um, give me all of your yeah. thoughts about what <sighs> you're doing and you know, for you to have done that with, I'm sure, countless number of creators. Yeah, a lot of people say that, actually. definitely a hallmark of yeah. your style, yeah, I'd I'm say. not. So. You're a sharer. Overseas suppliers, um, I mean, my motto is always to build in Australia. I have no intention or no interest in getting things built offshore. And that, that has also been the success of our business because um, people need things in at short time frames. And really no one can get that organised. Yeah. To get it to, done in at that long. Time. It's um, very rare. So I'm quite happy to share. I mean, my phone rings constantly with people, whether, you know, 
Dave from Ralph Lauren or you know uh, that are moving up into the management positions ringing me for advice it's 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 it, it I'm, that's fine I, I love give, giving my advice and I love giving out ideas because it just makes room in your head for more it does <laughs> and I've always noticed with you there's a sense of fun about everything yeah. You, it's all, I know when I go to Kensington, it's going to be a fun afternoon. And Jahan goes, can I come too? Because we know it's going to be fun. And I guess, I mean, we're really lucky to be in an industry where fun is the game, really. Yeah, you have to, I have to remind myself because, boy, this position and this job role is extremely stressful. Um, and I suffer terribly from from stress because... And I have to start keep reminding my clients, you know, you, you, you're only managing one brand. I'm managing 30 at a time and everyone's screaming at the same time and we're just going to have to put you in the line and you wait. So and how do you deal with that stress? Recently, I've been dealing with it through my app Calm, which I, I'm just <laughs> yeah, loving yeah. and it's just right. really working, um, just clearing my head. Because the biggest thing, I guess, is is trying to get sleep is in this industry, especially. I hear you. Yeah. I mean, you know, the three nights of night shift per week, you know, finishing at two, three in the morning will knock you around and, and the older you get, the more it knocks you. So breaking your sleep patterns is, is difficult. And look, I, I think it's just something you, you learn to live with, but getting sleep is, is, is what I need. Um, so yeah, I'm introduced to calm and, um, the, the, uh, sleep stories to I send me it. to sleep Perfect. every night. That's what we um, need, the break and, off uh, from it. Planet to, uh, Journey to the Stars is my favourite one. I don't think I've ever got past, I think we get to about Mars and I don't know and what comes go, after you're that. You're gone. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's, yeah. that's a good thing. Um, but uh, to, to handle stress is, is then organisation and someone, when I used to do the Christmas insoles at Crown, they complimented me because I was one of the few people they knew that were was able to use their left and right brain. So and that I, I've noticed that too. Yeah. And so organization and, and breaking, because I mean, I, I, I still get perplexed in, um, with the big jobs. I still look at them and just go, oh my God, how, how am I going to do this? You know? And then to be, then just go, okay, let's just break it down, break it down into bite, bite sized bits. Let's just look at one thing first. Let's just look at this, you know, the framing or, or, and so, so yeah, that it's, it's breaking it down into manageable pieces. And then it's critical that we work with, with timelines and our master schedules at work so that we know we can see the bottlenecks in the business coming up and, and plan for those bottlenecks. Yeah. It's, it's all, I think the, the biggest thing would be our, our production calendar and just being able to go, say yes to a job knowing that there's a week there that's free um, and having that, having at least six months in advance so that you can start locking jobs in. And so, yeah, I mean, I get clients ring me four months out and go, can you lock two weeks out for me in May to, I've got a job coming up. It hasn't that's been designed super helpful, yet, isn't it? Yeah, can you yeah, lock us in? that's super helpful. Yeah, and stress is, um, really, it, it's just grabbing up grabbing the job by the balls and, and just, you know, really having to get in there and just, because I mean, some, you know, you sometimes do get frightened of jobs and you push, keep pushing them to the side, hoping they'd go away, but they don't. Uh, <laughs> they're still there. They're still, yeah. And everyone, everyone, all my clients know that, you know, I, I am very difficult to get in contact because when I am a, on a job, it's a hundred percent of my focus is on your job, whether that be for maybe just the last couple of days or the first couple of days. Yeah. When, when, when your job actually sit, hits in front of me, I'm all yours and I'll annoy you for days on end, yeah. just getting the fine nuts That's, and bolts. And we're out. glad you do. Yeah. And Connie, I guess is a great conduit Stand by. for you. Yeah. 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 But you know, yeah. if I can, if I can't yeah. get onto you, I can always find her. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, that, yeah, because I'm, um, yeah, so, sometimes I'm sleeping during the day or you know, recovering from an install. Um, and yeah. you know, I'm also really interested that often when we're talking about jobs, you will be also working on the quote yep. as your quoting template actually becomes the template of the description of the job. Yeah. It's not just the pricing. Yeah. It has all the details the in it. And I guess, you know, that's that whole um, thing. I love James Clear, the guy who wrote um, Atomic Habits, and he always says, you know, you'll fail to the level of your systems. And I see that 
I know you probably don't think about it, but I see when you're typing in when we're doing jobs in that quoting, you're actually writing down yeah. and breaking down yeah. the elements that have to be made. You're not going through several processes. You're actually going to the end process because it's going to be an invoice. Ac so you're yeah. combining all of that creative work from the first instance in the budget, which is actually something that we do. Yep. We start budget on day one of the creative yep. Yep. and we know what the amount of money is and we start to go, okay, chunk it. Yep. This is fees. This will be, this will be labor. This is based on what the, we know, Yeah. you know, and I feel you've got really great processes. The admin side of the business is so important. So, I mean, cloud-based software now has become the norm, but it's my God, it's benefit the company um so the system you're talking about is quotient which is a, is a cloud based software um and that um so every every job really needs to be quoted i need to look at because i need to work out how to, it's actually going to be made because yeah absolutely um, you can throw Therefore. a budget on it but unless i know how i'm going to make it and what materials are available you know it's pointless so unfortunately i i still do all the quoting because by quoting, I've then created a methodology of how we're actually going to produce that project. Um, and by the quoting stage, I've I've checked if the materials are in stock at our suppliers or substitute materials. I, I know how it's going to be built. Um, and I know from, I mean, working out in the studio when I can, I know how long things take for labour. And we have another costing system. I know people sort of giggle when they see our quotes because our pricing is so weird it's um down to weird dollars and cents rather than budget amounts but that's just our costing system in-house where we punch all the quantity of materials in and 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 the labor and um, contractors and so forth and, and the spreadsheet just punches out a number at the bottom with all, with all our so overheads important because it's reality it is um and so knowing knowing what it costs to keep a company running and what your minimum income per, per month is to, to meet all your overheads um, is so important and, and putting those margins, markups on, on, on each job. And then we, we also have, shouldn't be saying this, um, a variable then markup at the end of the quote, which is... Um, well, you should. So, so, so we, we will do cheaper, we'll, you know, if we're, we've got a, a theatre company that needs a cheap set built this week so you know that that's our opportunity to we know what our base costs are and then we can adjust uh the profit company profit margin accordingly so you know mm. we, if if we need to do a cheap and cheery we can mm. and we can just at a punch of a button adjust the just that and then um and then have the option for doing premium charging for our premium clients great and that is i mean that's such great advice for any biz, small business person out there creative um, to have that side of your business under control is vital. And I guess that's, you know, when you look at someone like yourself who's been going for 35 mm. years, that's why you've been going for 35 mm. years because you have the creative <coughs> and the business um, yeah. things all and and, put together. And once again, that, that's, that's just, that's from, our, from Melbourne College Decoration. So within that course, there was a six-month course for I forget what they called it, but it was sort of like, oh, costing and estimating. That's yes. what it was. Yep. Um, yep. And it was just a, it was just basic working out square meterage of walls and how much wallpaper you need versus and how much paint per you know six by three meter wall. Maths. Uh, how, maths and just basic. I mean, I use pi every day of the week, three point one four two to work out you know circumference of cylinders for how much material order to make a drum plinth. Um, so yeah, it's a, that basic basic maths uh, actually is. Very useful. Beautiful. Working I love out it. Uh, the length of a spiral helix to go up a Christmas tree, that sort of thing. I love it. Mm. So how did you get um, so courageous? You've got this mm. confidence about you. Did you always have that confidence and this courage? Where did that come yeah, from? Someone, someone wrote that I was considered bullish with my... I would have said courageous. Bullish. <laughs> <laughs> I think it just comes down to boredom. I just don't want to do the same job. I just can't stand building a job twice, doing two of something. <laughs> it's got to be one off. Um, Great. I don't know. Variety. I, I, I just get bored. I just, Variety I just love, is good. I love, I mean, it's a silly business decision because obviously 
you can't walk away from a business where you're involved and needed every day of the week. But um, but that's what I love is the is the challenge to to discover or work out a way of making that happen. One of my favorite clients is U Media doing all the um, 3D advertising on top of bus shelters and at Flinders Street Station because it involves so much engineering and structural engineering to actually get it to comply with just so many safety standards. And I just love that. I love integrating the rigging and the engineering and, and meeting with structural engineers to get it passed to, to a point where my structural engineer actually thought I was a structural engineer by the way I present and, and think. But it's a real talent to learn skills and knowledge of how to install temporary decor without physically damaging a building or a facade um, or a bus shelter. Um, so, yeah, it's that's another skill in itself. There are very few people who can do that or have the interest in it. You know, the, this, as I say, your skills are very rare because, you know, there just aren't people who get that. Yeah. I, get, you know? I mean, once again, it's, it's just the VM industry driving those the need for those skills, yeah. So if you could give advice to your younger self mm-hmm. or someone starting out in the VM industry, what would you tell them? What would you say to them? Go for it. Go for it. I, I don't think there's any argument that the VM industry is still alive and well, um, especially in the, the top end of town on Collins Street. If you were wanting to dress windows and doing in-store merchandising, it's still alive and well. It's it's not going to disappear. I, I don't it always think, needs I, to be done, doesn't it? Yeah, and, and more than ever, the the, the need for theatre in-store is, is needed even more now to reward customers for making that trip in-store into the bricks and mortar. I would say if you wanted to be a mini-me, go and explore other manufacturing and, and get into, into an amateur theatre group, um, discover what it's like to create an immersive environment in a black theatre and, and feel that reward that you get. Learn everything you can. I still go onto YouTube to learn tricks and of the trade, you know, to if I don't know how to do something, off to YouTube I go. Um, you know, YouTube's amazing yeah. for that, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. You can, you can find everything. Unblocking a sink to <laughs> how to apply a decal. Yeah. 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 Putting on the glitter jazz. Yeah. <laughs> Who within our industry or yeah the, the of the people we know, hmm. who are the people that inspire you? Uh, okay. Or have inspired you? So <clears throat> I did have a, a an amazing mentor and that, that was Harry Legrand who was responsible for the original look of David Jones when Adelaide Steamship converted it to the most beautiful store in the world. Harry, when I was at David Jones, Harry was our national VM manager. And then back in 90 he transferred as national VM manager of Maya. He actually came out to stage one to cancel the first set of windows that I was building at Christmas windows because he hated animated windows. Um, and so he was coming out to give me the bad news that he was cancelling the windows. And so Harry arrived on my doorstep, recognised my face and realised I was a David Jones boy. And uh, <laughs> so he took total credit for what I was creating that that. He taught me how to do all this and I was his protege. I love that. Um, of course you were. Yeah. So Harry um, Harry took me under his wing when he was at Maya and he he helped build my company because he was he he um, obviously saw my ability and, and supported me and Harry and I socialised privately as well, loved each other. Um, Harry then worked for me. Um, so in about... Must have been in about 2000. Um, Harry worked with me at Melbourne Museum when we were doing the fit out of all the objects um, for the new museum. He worked in the indigenous area with all the bark paintings and so forth. Yeah, so, and he loved it because he loved indigenous art. And unfortunately, Harry finished at Melbourne Museum, took a break, went to Canberra, um, and unfortunately died of a heart attack at age 50. Um, oh, while painting his house, yeah. So, but Harry was um, was definitely my mentor because what he did with David Jones by creating the look that we know still know today, yeah, he, he was the man. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd have to say Harry and the next person would have to be Simon uh, Doonan, who was the VM manager of Barney's New York, um, who wrote this fantastic book called Confessions of a Window Dresser. And the stories of his life as a window dresser are just, well, they're... He's pretty out there. They're pretty out there. Um, yeah, one day I'm going to write my my confessions as well. Start so, now. Yeah, well, <laughs> Emma Hofstede and I were laughing the other night with just all the stories that I have. And Spill. I just... Uh, mm, I think the worst was... Um, burning a complete window down at David Jones, Sydney, and the water. <laughs> just last week. Uh, no, just the, kidding. The, the sprinklers filled the window up about halfway before the floor gave way, took the entire ceiling out of basement um, up in Sydney. <laughs> what <laughs> do you say to that? Oops. What do I say? Nothing. Um, I what was, can you say? I was dragged up to the CEO's office the next morning. Um, I was in Melbourne. I flew up first thing in the morning, reassured him that insurances would kick in, which they did straight away. Don Grover was the CEO at that stage and he said, mate, shit happens. Now how are we going to fix it? And I said, it's all looked after. We've got a ANSET plane. That's how far along we are it was. Um, <laughs> booked with cargo. And so the entire window was taken out that morning, glass replaced, and the window was flown straight back to Melbourne. We fixed it within four days. We rebuilt built it and had it back in for the weekend trade. Um, and what that showed to David Jones was that's why we charge – those dollars because you know we have to pay some pretty outrageous insurance costs um, for what we do and so when things do happen we're professional enough that the insurances will kick in i love it um that's one <laughs> i'm one sure there's hundreds. plenty more yeah but 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 that's that's why i do what i do because you learn by your mistakes and unfortunately your client does have to come on a journey with you they and, do. And, and sometimes they're going to have to accept that this is unique work and there are going to be stuff ups and it's just part of the journey that we're both meant to be on. Yeah, um, definitely. And that none of us are experts of what uh, – there is no expert for what you're asking, you know, to be created. It's going to be a learning curve. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And I think that keeps the work fresh. Yeah. It feels yeah. fresh and it's new and it's – Yeah. You've got to take the risks. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So tell me, are you a front of house or a back of house? Oh, back guy? of house without without. So I mean, I'm I'm I am extremely shy. I consider I'm probably an introvert. I definitely don't like the limelight. I get dragged kicking and screaming to in front of cameras, and yeah, I I'm a display gypsy. You know, we we just appear at night when the store's closed. We'll come in and you know, do our thing and disappear before the sun comes up. And, and that's part of the magic of the industry is that we're not seen. We're, we're, things just magically happen in store overnight. So definitely, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm back of house. Yeah. And it's interesting that, like you're saying, you know, you're back of house and yet the results of your work are so front of house. Oh, but that's just wearing a costume, isn't it? It's, yeah. You, you've yeah, got a fake facade in front of you. Yeah. 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 And then you and, but can that, do anything. And, and, but that is my expression. That is who I am. Yes. Um, yeah. I love that. Absolutely love it. So I need some quotes from you. What yep. have you got? Well, I pretty much gave, well, I gave one away, didn't I, about the, the taxi chauffeur. <laughs> um, one thing I always say is retail is detail. Um, so yeah, no the, de the detail is, um, so important and, and cleaning, um, yeah. Yeah. No blow flies in windows, yeah. thanks. Um, uh, the, the man who invented microfiber cloths needs, needs a needle. Yeah. He does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and something I say at work is, um, today's rush is tomorrow's rubbish. Um, so it, it always amazes me just how much effort is put in to you know for for six hours or something and then it's unfortunately it's it's off off it goes it's gone yeah um but i also love that as well i i people it has people an actually, intensity to it people actually say you know oh, how do you feel when you destroy a set of christmas windows well it's it's a sense of renewal actually it's 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 the end of one show i mean the minute the blinds are up my job's done and you're on to the next um, so it's just part of the process. Mm, I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for your time today. You, I feel very honoured to know you and work with you and 
look, the everyone knows the type of work that you've done over such a long period of time has made such a contribution to the Australian visual merchandising industry and how lucky we are to have you. So thank you, John. Oh, thanks, Amanda. Thank no you. Worries.